Thank you for joining the Startup Guide to Growth. My name is Rika Malazzi, and I'm Senior Director of Go-To-Market Ops at Sapphire Ventures. I'm extremely excited to have this conversation with Steve Boak, VP of Product Design at Datadog. Steve has worked at the intersection of enterprise SaaS, developer tools, and design for most of his career, and was co-founder of a monitoring tool company called Opsi before joining Datadog in 2016. In this episode, we explore the role of design in a developer tool company, how design can be a catalyst for company growth, how to be consistent yet provide customization within your product, and what the future of enterprise tech UX looks like. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Steve, thank you for joining us for this episode. Thanks, Rico, for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk about design in the context of startup growth. But I think the first thing I want to talk about is understand your experience. And maybe you can give an idea on how a designer gets into the developer tooling space, not necessarily somewhat of an oil and water scenario there. So I'd love to hear the background and how you got in there. Yeah, as a designer, it's not the most intuitive place to end up. One of my favorite blog posts about design is called, I only work on shiny products. And the premise is kind of like most designers gravitate towards these companies like Facebook and Instagram that already have these really beautiful polished products that you know people are accustomed to using every day, social media. And so yeah, tools for software engineers is definitely not the most intuitive place to end up. But for me, it like weirdly is a perfect fit that like in school, I tried to double major in engineering and design, but it was going to take me six years to graduate. After grad school, I mean, in grad school, I had kind of a hybrid design engineering program and then got connected with architects. And so the first six years of my career before software, I actually ended up working with like Frank Geary and, and wow. some of the world's best architects on like building projects and that and working on technology in those projects. And so it was this weird neat like very technological dimension to figuring out very visual and, and physical things. And the, I'll spare you the long story of how that ultimately connects to software. But I met some people, I met one guy in particular named Shah, who, when I moved to San Francisco, had started an email list called Post Architectural of all the people who had like left the architecture industry and were now working on, in particular, like data visualization problems. And so it was through that connection, this kind of like products with data visualization that have a technical element, that's kind of the way that it all fits together for me. And so these hard technical problems, those are the things that I really enjoy solving. And for engineering tools too, uh, there are these other dimensions. Like I think when I got connected with the first set of founders at this small startup that I was working with, this small dev tools startup that I was working with called Boundary, the, one of the cool things about these companies, it's, it's engineers building software for themselves. And so they have their own product mindset about the tools that they want to build for themselves. And so as a designer, it felt like a really natural place to land where these people care a lot about what they're building. They're building it for themselves and they're really passionate about what they're building. So those are all kinds of things that have led me to this space over time. That's great. And then from a, an enterprise kind of software or enterprise tech, can you give us a little background about some of the experiences you've had? I know you also started your own company in the developer space as well. Yeah, I think so. Before Datadog, I, I started a small company called Opsi that was kind of a, I mean, it was a monitoring tool connected to AWS and cloud computing. I worked at two other dev tools companies before that. And again, since that first startup boundary that I worked at, the dev tools company, I've been hooked for the reasons that I said, these, you know, the engineers passionate about what they're building. And over time, I've seen the developer experience and user experience evolve a ton. Like when it comes to design in this space, it, it's kind of a, 
build versus buy, like as a company building tools for software engineers, you're always kind of competing with your own customers because they're engineers. They could theoretically build a lot of this themselves. And so you're trying to make them say, I don't want to build this. I'd rather pay you to do it. And so if you think about some of the big dev tools companies like Twilio, you know, if you're building an app and that app sends text messages and makes phone calls, more than likely you're using Twilio because like, why would you write all that telephony code yourself for Stripe and payments? Like, are you going to build a PCI compliant you know, data center, are you going to run all that payments code and risk the security vulnerabilities and all that? So like you could just pay them to do it. And Datadog is a lot like this too. And monitoring in general in that people can write their own monitoring tools. People do. Sometimes they'll connect data from their hosts to, you know, dashboards and they'll use open source tools that they build on their own. But we're also trying to offer a really first-class experience on top of that. These, you know, one-click integrations with say AWS that if you are running hosts and, and other services in AWS, you can, you can integrate all that data with Datadog at the push of a button. And so this kind of mentality, like how do you make this really great experience? This is not a low margin utility business, like where it's really high touch. We're spending a lot of time with our customers, making sure they have a great experience. We have a really large support and sales team to help that. And, you know, design is just one part of creating a great customer experience that ultimately means, you know, they're, these are engineers, but they value the tool enough that they're paying us for it. It's also just like, honest business, you know, that we're not ad supported. It's a pretty uncomplicated business. People are paying us money every month for software. If they like it, they keep paying us. If they don't like it, they leave. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a, yeah, it's a very binary choice, but the product is clear in this transaction. Unlike some of the other <laughs> products we use in our daily lives. I think you bring up a good point. There's, there's sort of like two types of developer tools. There's the, the API interface type tools, like the Twilio's, the Stripe, and then there's more of a Datadog, which is has a very rich kind of visual experience. How does design compare between the two? Is For the API world, is it more focused on like just incredible documentation? That's kind of the experience that the product person gets or the user gets. And then for yours, it really is a dashboard and a visual experience with, with integration clicks, and et cetera. Yeah, this is a great point and, and a great distinction. I mean, the big difference between us and companies like Twilio and Stripe, and it's an oversimplification. Both of these companies have a lot of products, like Stripe has some really visual and interactive products, but Datadog has always been a very visual tool. Dashboards, alerting that you know Stripe and Twilio, their core business is this API so that you don't have to write payments code or telephony code, where Datadog, the monitoring, the whole experience around that, you can build your own dashboards, you can drag and drop. I didn't realize this when I entered the dev tool space, but this lucky convergence that it's both a really technical tool and also really a visual tool. You know, so there are other companies like this, you know, GitHub is really popular because it creates a great user experience around committing and code sharing. And so that's a distinction between us and the other API companies. And yeah, I think I was lucky. I didn't realize this when I entered, but it's a, it's a really important part of why I like it. And then what makes for a good design when it comes to APIs, error messages, these are, I mean, these are important user experience problems. The One of the questions we're debating right now at Datadog is that when you go from one part of the product to the next, the query that you'll enter into a search box, the, the syntax might be a little bit different. And so the way you run a search in one place will be different from the way you run it in another one. These are not classically thought of as design problems, but they're really important to the user experience that you have consistent query syntax. And so we're really working hard to, to try to solve that. That's very interesting. I also think being a designer, one of the critical things is, is right user feedback, right? The engineering community is somewhat of an introvert community in some ways, but then they're also very active in digital communities, like you said, and especially in the open source community. So how is the process of getting user feedback maybe in an engineering first kind of organization work? Yeah, I think what you touch on there is really crucial to the way 
business is done these days with developer tools, especially. I think the old way of selling software to an enterprise would be, you know, you take the CIO out for golf, maybe you score a deal through that. And now the entire business model has shifted to a mentality of land and expand, where what you really want is for an engineer, a small team, maybe inside of a large company to come in the front door, go to the website, sign up, try out the product. They really love the experience and they you know, guerrilla marketing that, you know, they talk about it inside, they talk about how much they love it and the tool spreads internally. And so that model is how, I mean, I think a lot of uh, software companies, certainly Datadog, it's been a huge part of our success story. The fact that it is turnkey, you can get started, anyone can get started. And so land and expand is half of the story and that you want one small team to evangelize the tool internally. The bundle and upsell is the other part of it. You know, Datadog has many products, not just one. And so if a customer comes in and has a great experience with one of them, they will, you know, potentially start using many other of our products. And that's also crucial to the growth of our business today. That makes a lot of sense. And it's a great segue to what I want to talk about in the latter half of this conversation is how can design be a catalyst for growth? Datadog is one of the very hot companies that has also kind of leveraged product-led growth, which is a very popular go-to-market motion for enterprise technology companies. With that being said, how do you use design as a mechanism for growth for the organization? And then what is the collaboration between the other parts of the organization to make sure that they're in alignment? Yeah. So based on these two principles, land and expand and bundle and upsell, that a lot of this gets into the way we think about designing the product. So first land and expand that if you want one team to turn into many teams inside of a company using your product, you want a consistent, but also very customizable experience. Like as people move from one part of the product to another, you want it to feel comfortable and familiar so that they don't have to relearn things from the beginning. But you also want each of these teams is going to have distinct needs. And so that might be saving certain kinds of searches or creating their own dashboards or just giving them a way that some of our largest customers, there might be hundreds of engineers using Datadog across dozens of teams. Each of those teams has a slightly different way of using the product. And so that ability to grow really depends on those two things, that each team can really personalize the product to their own needs and that they can have still a consistent feel across the many different products that we offer. And so design plays a big part in that. The second thing is just the the literal way that we're selling products. And Ahmed, our chief product officer, has been ruthless about this since day one, but that we should never stop somebody from buying something. And through my own experiences buying software, it's actually been kind of startling to see how common it is for there to be barriers to this. Like without naming names, I've gone through procurement recently for a few different companies and some make it incredibly easy. Even with a seat based, if you're paying for a certain number of users on on a piece of software, some might make it really easy to just add more seats and they kind of audit them at the end of the month or the quarter and you true up in this kind of model versus other tools where we've had to actually sign paperwork every time we add a seat. And the latter just seems sort of insane that they're making you jump through hurdles. And so Ahmed and, and just like the product experience generally has been really focused on this, like don't stop people from using things. So in the event that somebody is using one of our products and they're thinking about using another one, we'll offer you know two weeks unpaid with no credit card asked or anything like that. You can just start using it. And even after those two weeks, we're not going to just cut you off. You know, A CSM or an account representative is going to get in touch with you and try to work through a solution that makes everyone happy so that we're not ever trying to stop you 
from doing things. And that sounds totally obvious as I say it, but it actually doesn't seem to be the default case. So I'm proud that it's something that we do. And even I think some people, metered billing in general seems to be kind of a newish thing. The idea that you're not going to know what your bill is at the end of the month. And so, you know, tools like AWS and Datadog, we invest a lot in transparency in terms of like providing dashboards and other tools that to proactively tell you, here's where you're spending on money on right now. And right now means to the day, to the hour, because large spikes in usage can really mess with that. So we do try to provide a lot of transparency into it, but this is not something that is inherently underhanded. The idea that you're not going to know what your bill is at the end of the month, because that can swing by huge amounts. I like the phrase you use there is with the product is you want to be consistent, but provide also some level of customization. It's a precarious balance, but I think one that's very important for, like you said, it to expand within the organization because every use case is not going to be the same. Then the second element you brought up there is you know not allowing everyone to experience the full product, no matter what type of user you are. I think that's really important in a product-led growth company to make sure that they get those aha moments to convert them to a paying customer. Because if you start walling off the garden, then they may lose some of that value that might be critical for them to make that purchasing decision. So I think that's very, very interesting. What do you look for in your team when you're building out a design team What are the skills necessary for an enterprise technology designer, specifically one focused on engineering products? Some of the things I look for when hiring and growing this team, you know, first I mentioned my love for the technical parts of this job. And there are just some designers and product managers, frankly, who have no interest in in that, the deeply technical parts of this work. And it gets really deep. Like how do containers and serverless functions work? You know, how do these really arcane and specific technologies, you know, Redis or or, uh, Kafka or something like getting into some product that's actually going to monitor the guts of a really deep backend engineering system. So, you know, not all of the designers on our team are working on you know, these kinds of really deep, challenging problems, but that's an important part of the work. I mean, there's also a really visual, you know, the, this kind of dragging and dropping this really interactive experience of like authoring a dashboard. That's like another thread that we're looking for expertise. And then also the nature of the work. I mean, one of the things I really love about enterprise software is that even at our scale, I mean, Datadog has 10,000 plus customers globally, which is not a huge number. And, you know, maybe a thousand or 2000 of those customers are paying us more than a hundred thousand dollars a year. And so this kind of power law distribution of revenue is true of many enterprise software companies. And so we invest disproportionate amounts of time with our biggest customers. And so as opposed to say a consumer product company, that's doing a ton of split testing and optimization, like we're still doing a lot of boots on the ground, qualitative research and analysis spending actual time with our customers. And so those kinds of relationships and the way we do our work is also something, you know, we're looking for people that like that kind of environment. And also, frankly, who are willing to step outside themselves. Like, I don't think anyone on our team, on the design team at Datadog is an actual Datadog customer. Like we aren't the core user. So you really have to be willing to step outside yourself, really understand the needs of these people and invest time to do that. I guess the good news with the DevTools company is again, our own engineers use the product so we can do a ton of in-house user research and our own teams use everything. We roll out everything internally before we roll it out to customers. So that that's another thing actually that's really rewarding about this is it, is it often feels like you're building something for you know your neighbor, like the, the engineer sitting next to you. Do you split test the Datadog product externally too? Or I, I know you said it's much more of a consumer kind of thing, but will you do that as well? In certain narrow ways for things like onboarding, where you know the vast majority of people are coming through and we actually have the numbers to do it. But frankly, you know, for a lot of the more niche parts of the product experience, I don't think we really even have the numbers to do that kind of product development. One of the things in product-led growth is like 
creating sort of virality loops, right? One person to invite another person. What are some of the design elements that you've embedded in the Datadog product to help kind of do that impetus? I know one of them is inherently leaving the product open, but are there any other triggers that you have kind of embedded in the design of the product? Yeah, that's interesting and timely because, I mean, for most of Datadog's history, I don't think we've thought about growth that way. Like we don't build based on the number of people using the product. It's all about, you know, the number of hosts. And so the social aspect of growth is really more about, again, this kind of land and expand where one team tells another team and they start monitoring their infrastructure. So I guess it's spreading through social mechanisms, but the actual unit of growth is like the number of hosts and services that they're monitoring. But increasingly, you know, the product experience that people have alerts, for example, that when you create an alert, this is the thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night. You really want to have the knowledge that your team is involved in this. We have a new incident management product that the whole point is actually to bring a team of people together to solve a problem. So once you've recognized that something is broken, you do things like specify an incident commander, like one person whose job it is to oversee that incident. You bring a team of people in to be notified. You can actually kind of assign them tasks. Like, you know, as a part of investigating this incident, we discovered this problem. And now, you you know, this person is responsible for solving it. So with actually some of Datadog's newer products, there really is becoming more of a, a social element to the product experience. In your mind, someone who's started a, a company in the developer space and obviously scaled a, a company in the developer space, should design be part of the, the core team from day one? Or <laughs> when, when do you think... Uh... You might be biased, but... (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm obviously biased. And I think I've tried to make a career out of design being involved in these technical and product conversations early. I've unfortunately been at companies where design is an afterthought. The engineers and product managers, the sort of business leadership, as it were, is making important product decisions. And then design is brought in later to make it look pretty or something like this. When a lot of what we're trying to do is open doors as a part of the design process. So, you know, when we have an idea for a new product offering, design's role is often to kind of, I mean, explore a bunch of different options, put those options in front of important stakeholders and to make a better decision for the entire company. And one of the things that I'm most proud of on this team is we actually have a few designers focusing on data visualization. It's such an important part of the Datadog product experience that we have these specialist designers who can write code and build visualizations that because normal design tools and normal design process just won't work for these really big and complex visualizations. And so the only way we can test out ideas and see if the product ideas we're thinking about are working is to actually build prototypes with code. And so that iterative process of exploring and figuring out what's working, I think that's fundamentally design's role in the business is to try things out and put them in front of people and see what's working. And so, yeah, I think that mentality, that role in the company is crucial. And one of the other kind of fun facts about, I think, several dev tools companies, I know Datadog, but also GitHub, Stripe, I think all of these companies for their first several years of operation didn't have any product managers because it's engineers building software for themselves. And so you have uh, you know, often engineers and designers working in close collaboration because they, they already have a kind of built-in sense of the product goals because they're building it for themselves. Yeah. One interesting fact is Dylan, who's the founder of Sigma. I was listening to him and he was talking about, he keeps track of the engineer to design ratio at, at these large organizations and the design pool keeps getting larger to the engineering ratio, obviously not one-to-one, but it, it is a growing factor. I think there's definitely a cognizance of the importance of design and enterprise technology. So that's, that's exciting to hear. I think it will become earlier in the process I want to talk about the future of design. And one of the sayings I used to hear is, you know, the future of UX is no UX. So can you talk about a little bit how you see the UX paradigm evolving in enterprise technology? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question and an interesting framing of it because a lot of the developer tool experience or enterprise tool experience is this these troubleshooting workflows where you try to find what's broken and you're kind of searching and filtering and, and drilling down into problems and try to uncover what the underlying issue is. And this is a pretty manual process. You maybe look at some alerts that came in or look at some dashboards and you find things that are going wrong. You're kind of working your way through this in a manual way. And one of the most interesting changes that we've introduced in our product and that's happening in the industry generally is the introduction of data science and methods that like AI and machine learning where we can short circuit some of this. So today, Datadog has a feature called Watchdog, for example. And what we can do is we're automatically kind of trolling around your system looking for unusual behavior, like a spike in errors or a spike in latency or response time of a service. And we can surface that to you as an event, like a social media style event in a feed where even if you weren't looking for this specifically, even if you didn't have an alert connected to it or a dashboard looking at it, we can go and find it for you anyway. And so we're able to uncover new kinds of activity that you might not have seen otherwise. And we can start to surface that to you in other parts of the product. Like you might be looking at a dashboard where you have all the kind of graphs that you've put there, but we can also surface this event to you that we've uncovered and to automate some of that detection of unusual behavior and build that into the experience, helping you find hopefully these um, answers to these questions faster. Yeah, it's almost in a sense, UX is becoming proactive rather than a display you engage with, the display actually engages you, kind of switching this the seat around there. Yeah, like a lot of, um, actually this kind of proactive reactive distinction is a big part of how we think about the product experience generally. Like when you get an alert, that is a reactive experience. Like something has told you this is broken and then you have to go and figure out what it is. There are also proactive workflows. You know, our own office in Datadog's office, our own engineers have TVs up on the walls with dashboards, Datadog dashboards that show them how their systems are operating and what's healthy. And if it's a service that this engineering team has written, they understand it really well. They can just glance at that dashboard and understand if something's wrong. They know what those key metrics are supposed to look like. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a really good way of framing it because not only like the dashboard is fundamentally like a proactive tool. But if you can then take that a step further and say, not only the graphs here, and you can hopefully spot what's wrong, we can actually show you something interesting there that maybe you weren't thinking about. That's great. This was a really great conversation. My last question has nothing to do about design or enterprise technology, but more about you. What's your current favorite TV show right now? (laughs) Yeah. So when I was thinking about this, we recently watched Ozark and it's not new, but in this moment, the, you know, everyone being stuck inside the sort of nihilism of this moment, like the darkness and nihilism of that show felt, I don't know, cathartic. And it's kind of hard to watch. It's like an anxiety inducing show, but I felt emotionally connected to it. And uh, like, I don't know if you've seen Palm Springs too, but that the movie, it has this kind of darkness and nihilism to it. And so for some reason, these kinds of things are just connecting with me right now. No, that's good. My, my wife's seen both of them. So she, nice. <laughs> she watched Ozark a lot. I've seen episodes here and there, but I've heard it's a great show. So yeah, there's a lot of parallels. Um, <laughs> not, but generally speaking, that's excellent. I'll have to finish the seasons out and uh, I'll, I'll let you know what I think of it as well. Thanks again, Steve, for taking the time to speak with us. I know this was a great conversation. Oftentimes we don't talk about design and enterprise tech. So it was good to have this conversation about how it can be so integral to building a successful company. Thank you. Thanks, Rico. It was a pleasure. In this episode, I have a conversation with Steve Boak, VP of Product Design at Datadog. Steve has worked at the intersection of enterprise SaaS, developer tools, and design for most of his career, and was co-founder of a monitoring tool company called Opsi before joining Datadog in 2016. Our conversation covers the role of design and developer tool company, 
how design can be a catalyst for company growth, how to be consistent yet provide customization within your product, and what the future of UX looks like for enterprise tech.